Hello there, I'm coach Will Love and you're listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. We're fortunate to have Allison McNeil on today's podcast. Coach McNeil is a Hall of Famer and a legend when it comes to <laughs> basketball coaching. She's coached at the college level in both uh, Canada and the United States. Actually, she's coached at all levels. But what, where you might have heard her name is she went on to coach the Canadian women's national team for 16 years, which included a quarterfinals appearance in the London Olympic Games. Coach McNeil, thank you for talking some basketball with us today. How's everything in British Columbia? <laughs> Everything's great. It's sunny, beautiful. Um, the flooding that we had is over. And oh, good. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm just excited to be here and, and talk, to, talk a little basketball with you. All right. I live an hour away from British Columbia, but it might as well be a world away because, you know, we just uh, our mindset here in the United States, you know, we're pretty focused on that. So, you know, I just uh, came across you on a, a FIBA uh, video that you had done in Lithuania. And uh, so I learned a lot from that. I'm actually using some of the stuff in practice as we speak. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm new to you, um, but with that in mind, can you just kind of take us through like what got you into coaching and, yeah. and where that took you? Yeah, well, um, I certainly uh, I know we are worlds apart, but, you know, I've coached in the U.S., I've coached in Canada. And when it comes to coaching, I think we're a lot closer than maybe we think. Um, but uh, I grew up in a small town in Princeton, so um, at Princeton, B.C., in British Columbia in the interior. Uh, my parents were small business owners and um, I played all sports there. So I actually started as a swimmer downhill skier. I'm only five foot three. So I, I softball, um, obviously back catcher shortstop. Um, and then, but then when I started school basketball, that was just the one that grabbed me. And it probably wasn't the right sport for me as an athlete, but uh, sometimes your heart doesn't you know, tell you that you're small and you just go play. Um, and then from there I played high school basketball and then I, um, my high school team was very strong. I actually moved to go play in Salmon Arm, BC. And we were, um, back-to-back -back provincial championships at the highest level and uh, then I went down to I played in Canada for two years and then I finished down at the University of Oregon so that's sort of my basketball playing days and I think growing up in a small town um, you kind of got a chance to be good at everything so I was good at everything so I didn't really have a vision that I couldn't be good at something because you you got to play everything because it was only 1500 people in the whole town and um, so that was kind of cool and then I had some really great coaching at the youth levels um, uh, Mr. Arnie Carlson, my grade five teacher, he, he uh, coached me, my first coach, and I still remember him, and I still keep a little bit in touch with him, and I think when you get a kid off to a good start, and they're passionate about it, that kind of led me into coaching, and when I finished playing at, um, at University of Oregon, then I was a grad assistant for one year, and I went overseas to play in Germany, uh, or sorry, then I went up to Portland State for a year as an assistant, and then I went over to Germany, where really I think I learned a lot, because I coached young kids there to make some extra money, uh, taught some English lessons, tried to learn some German. And that was really, um, I think, a really good way for me to get into coaching. Uh, just a quick question based on your experience, because it's always kind of interesting to talk to people that have been around the game a whole lot. Has there been a lot of change in the women's game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember, um, well, some things they circle around, which is yeah. funny. When I was in high school, I played with an outstanding player. Her name was Bev Smith. She was an All-American at Oregon and we played in high school together. And then she played over in Italy for years uh, and was a great player, an Olympian, Olympic coach. 
um, and, and she coached the Ducks, she duck, duck women when I went back to coach at Oregon uh, um, years later. And, uh, and I just remember we ran a lot of um, pick and roll, pick and pop back in the day with her and I, and we had other good players, but then it kind of left and then, you know, some flex and motion stuff came in. And then now that's all back. You know, we used to DHO dribble handoff with people and back in the day. And so I think sometimes things circle around a little bit. Uh, but I definitely think that Williams game is so much more athletic, so much bigger. I'm not sure I could play in today's game, but I, I like to think I could. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty small, but um, bigger, faster. There's so much fitter, stronger. Yeah, it's definitely changed. But tactically and technically, I think it has changed a bit, too, but not maybe as much as people think. How did uh, the national team uh, gig come come around? That's a great question. So I am. Um, I always say this when, when people are talking to me, I, I'm actually not a big goal setter. And I know lots of people don't like to hear that, but I, I, it's not that I never think about something that I'd like to be able to do, but I'm more focused on the here and now and working hard and being the best I can be. And I kind of love the saying, be so good, they can't ignore you. That's always been something that I've stood by. And so I thought, well, if I'm just doing my work and I'm working hard and we have success, then I'll have success. The players I'm with, I'll have success. And so I um, actually was my friend, high school buddy, um, Bev Smith, and she was in my wedding party, the one I just talked about. She called me up and she said, um, I'm going to apply for the national team job, but I think you should. I said, oh, I, I don't want it right now. And she goes, well, I, you have more experience than me. I'm like, I'm not interested at the moment. So she applied, got it. And then she said, would you be an assistant? And I said, well, yeah, I think I could do that. And then she said, but we also have this youth team that's going to Russia. And I think you would be great. And at that point, I really, I was coaching university at Simon Fraser, but I loved coaching young kids. Like I just loved that. So I took a youth team to Russia and I assisted her. And then um, I got a call saying, you know, we'd like you to apply for the senior team. I was like, mm, should I, shouldn't I? Well, I probably should because what an honor. And yeah, that's kind of how it happened. It's not like I hadn't worked all along to, to get that, but I wouldn't say that I was out pursuing it. I just was working hard and trying to be the best I could be. You know, the question I have is just how did you approach your role as a uh, as Canada's uh, national team coach? And then what are some things in that position that you have to do that people don't realize you have to do? Yeah, crazy. Um, well, I mean, I think the way I approached it at the time was uh, they had qualified uh, Canada. We had qualified for the 2000 Olympics. It was an older team and we'd actually kind of got in the back door a little bit. I was at that qualifier. The Argentina team, which we had not beaten in some years, um, Two of their, their top players got uh, food poisoning and were in the hospital. When they played Mexico, they lost by two and we killed Mexico. And that's how we got to the Olympics. And that happens. We were very cautious. Our our doctor was saying, don't eat the bad, you know, this or that. Or, you know, so we were, um, that happened. So in 2000, I think the next, I took over the next year. And um, I think the first thing I, I thought was we have to change the culture a little bit. We didn't have a lot of athletes going to play pro. So when we played the Americans, the Australians, the Spanish, the French, they were all playing professional basketball. And when I, our staff took over in 2000, little after the Olympics, um, we had three playing professionally and the rest were college kids. And so you can't, you can't take girls to beat women. I mean, it's ludicrous. You're not going to beat Diamond Frosty and Sue Bird with 18 year olds. It's not happening. Yeah. And so um, that was the first thing we had to try to motivate the athletes to stay. So we helped them get agents. We helped them get overseas. Um, and then I think I approached it as in uh, it's a long-term build. I didn't, in my mind, I didn't think, well, let's try to win right away. I was like, we want to build a foundation. And I'm proud to say that, you know, we, we brought it back after not going to an Olympics for 12 years. We went to two worlds in the Olympics and now we've been to three Olympics and I think four worlds in a row. So that, that was, I think, what our whole goal was to build a foundation. And then I just took it as such a huge honor. 
to be honest. I mean, I, I can't imagine there's been anything other than getting married. I can't imagine there's been too many things greater in my life um, than representing Canada coaching. So I, it was huge. And it was all about building culture and building that sustainability. Uh, do you have any good stories from, oh, yeah. or a good story from, you know, I don't know, the Olympics or some other, uh, some some other time with the national team? Well, I have a few. I, I would go back to your first question, William, just a little bit. Yeah. And you said some things that might surprise people that I had to do or we had yeah. to do. So first of all, there's a funding model in Canada that's a little different in the U.S. So we have something called OTP, On the Podium. And so you only get On the Podium funding if you're top eight in the world. When we took over, we were 21 or 22. So no funding, zero money, like no money. So we had to you know, a little bit of money from here and there. But, um, and uh, I had a, a guy call me one day at home. I'm just sitting at home doing some work. And he said, hey, I really like what you're doing with the National Team Program. And you've coached my kids at a camp. And I'd like to donate $100,000 to you. I was like, I screamed. I was not, <laughs> I was not cool at all. Um, and his kids were not high, really high performance athletes. I just had them in a camp. And I thought, well, you know what? You kind of get rewarded for reaching out to like just kids that are, are playing this and, and I said to him that is unbelievable he said yeah I like what you're doing but most I liked what you did with my kids and how you approach you know treated everybody and I was like oh that is just so nice so that money actually helped propel us to have a, a really long training camp and be able to go overseas and um so that was that was kind of one of the things but you know we we sweep we had to sweep the floors my husband and I because he was one of my assistants because we had no one to do that um we picked up the jerseys after and took them to where the laundry was done and made sure those were done. So we washed Jersey as did some of the players. Um, we stayed in dorms. Um, now they stay in hotels cause we got, we have OTP funding cause we're fourth in the world as opposed to 22 or 21, um, whatever we were. So those were, there were all those things that you did, but at the time you're just so excited about trying to build something. You're not actually thinking this is a big deal. And the players at that time, they were so committed to getting us back onto the world stage that no job was too small for them. None of them were too big to do a job. No, no job was too small for the coaches. We didn't think we were all that. We did all the film on iMovie on our Macs, our okay. personal Macs. We had, <laughs> we had no video equipment. You can appreciate that as a media teacher. I can, I can. Yeah, none. And so we were just, you know, clipping on iMacs. Um, we, I had my own little projector. And that takes, that takes a long time. I've done that before. <laughs> yes, yeah, back in the day. And yeah. so now they have a video person. And that's what you fight for. That's what you try to get for the next people coming through. And so... It's a thrill to now watch our team stay in, you know, really good hotels. Um, I had to book a caterer because I could find one cheaper out here because we were training in, in British Columbia. Um, yeah, I, I went and begged um, a strength and conditioning coach, sports psychologist, exercise physiologist, and a nutritionist from the University of Fraser Valley. I sat in on their kinesiology department meeting to ask if I could get help. I was just desperate for help for the team. And I burst into tears in the first five minutes because I was so passionate about it. And they're all like, we'll help you. Everybody was jumping on board. <laughs> so there's been there's a lot when you're building. I mean, I'm sure a lot of coaches can relate to that. You have to do a lot yourself and um, and, and ask for help. All right. And then uh, any stories? You know, yeah, stories. Yeah. Any, oh, yeah. Any good ones? Yeah. Um, we were playing uh, the world qualifier and we got to the gym for a shoot around and they were still painting the lines on the floor. Oh. I was like, <laughs> don't we play tomorrow? So yeah. it, was, it was in the Dominican. People were working hard, but just not enough help and not enough organization. Um, that was crazy. So we had that. And then another time you we went in the Pan Ams. Um, also uh, in Dominican and we were traveling to our gym. We got there and we couldn't play because there was 
uh, bird poop all over and there were some stray dogs in the stands and and you're kind of going well and our doctor said we can't dribble a ball out there right now so come we'll come back later we came back eight hours that night to practice at 8 p.m and it was exactly the same so we never got to practice um, those things happen I mean it's just it's part of playing international basketball um, we were in China one time China was always really good to us because they paid for us to come over when we weren't funded fully paid trips were all we could really do so we played in China three times, I think, uh, maybe, yeah, three. And we were in a hotel, beautiful hotel, great food. And all of a sudden in the middle, well, it wasn't in the middle of the night, it was early morning, maybe five-ish. We got a call, our manager said, we have to move. Um, whoever was supposed to pay for the hotel has stolen the money. And, and we, so out we, I mean, we're gathering their stuff. The other teams in there too, Cuba was there. I think, um, I wanna say Latvia, but I can't remember. A 14 tournament, we gathered all our stuff. They busted to some other hotel and it was like, Oh, what a letdown, just a really not very good hotel, but generally they're great hosts. Um, also in China, we stayed in their beautiful training uh, facility and the showers were like tall enough for Yao Ming to be in. So I could, oh, okay. you know, at me 5'3", <laughs> the water took a long time to get down. Um, so we've had some crazy things like that. Buses not arriving and, um, you know, having to figure out how to get, I mean, language is always a barrier. Um, but we've also had some really great things, you know, just we share, we actually uh, at the world qualifying for the world championships, we got to the gym for our practice and Cuba also got there. We were playing them the next day and it was just a small gym, one gym. And th th they thought they were pressing. We thought we were, in, our manager was this high school counselor and she never made a mistake and we were right. But Cuba was stuck there because their bus driver left and then they would come back and get them after practice. So to qualify for the world championships, they practiced at one end and we practiced at oh, the wow. other. Yeah, and you're like, okay, so much for the walkthrough. Like, what are we, you know, <laughs> have to sort of go, well, what are we going to do? So there's been just so many of those. But I think, it, you know, William, I think it teaches you resiliency. I also think it teaches you control the controllables. Like, mm -hmm. don't get bent out of shape. I think if international basketball did a lot of things for me, it, helped me, it really helped me to be a lot calmer and just handling our business, what we can control and controlling the controllables. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. It's not like coach K and the four-star <laughs> amenities that uh, the U S men's national team is used to. No, it sure is not. Yeah. And you, and, you, and you realize most countries are not having that. I mean, the, the Americans are, you know, it's a great sport and have great support. And so it's, it's great, but no, it's definitely not like that for most of our teams. But, but like I said, I'm proud to say now our women's team is funded at a higher level and, and we all learned that we all put the, the work in and got it to a level where they've earned that. Well, I got to say, yeah, I mean, it's got to be really rewarding where you're at right now. And then especially like when you started that run and going to the Olympics. I mean, what did that feel like when you were starting to see the success uh, happen? Yeah, you know, it, people have asked me, so we qualified at the last chance qualifier in Turkey um, in, um, well, 2012, the two months before the Olympics, I guess. And we got the last possible berth. We beat Japan. There's one berth left. That was it. And we played on Canada today. So you're oh. July, you're, you're July <laughs> yeah. 4th. Yeah, uh, we're July 1st. And um, and it was just so exciting. We just knew we were going to win. And But everybody always asked me, well, how did that feel after, you know, 12, um, three quads, like, like going four-year quads, three quads not going? And I said, you know, it wasn't relief. Like people, we must have been relieved. I'm like, it, it wasn't that at all. It was just euphoric. The mm -hmm. players had earned it and parents were there and couple husbands were there and partners were there. And so everybody's running around the flag and taking pictures. And I think that day maybe stands out even more than being at the Olympics because that was the day we did it. And it was on Canada Day and, and no one expected us to, we weren't expected to go. So that was pretty exciting. And then to get to the quarterfinals, 
if it hadn't been for Becky Hammond playing for Russia, we might've been in the semis, but <laughs> she, she was pretty, she was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just so exciting to be able to do that. And now when I look, I'm just, I'm just proud of being part of it. And I'm a huge fan and a huge follower and a huge supporter. So um, you kind of talked about that idea of building resiliency as a coach and, and, and how that helped with the players. What were maybe some other valuable lessons that you learned along the way, either at the college level or at the national level? Yeah, well, I think it's all about building relationships. I know everybody says that, but either you commit to it or you don't. And I think I, I would, if I said anything, I'm probably um, more of a personality, that might not be the right word, but a personality coach. I think mm -hmm. I, I have, I'm upbeat. I, I love going to practice. I love being with the players. I mean, there's moments I need to be away from the players, but <laughs> I'm getting older, but, um, but I've always enjoyed that. And so I think getting to know them, um, appealing to their sense of pride and playing for Canada or playing for their university, I think is more important. And I know X's and O's and technical tactical stuff is crucial, but, and I think it helped me that I've coached at every level from grade two to, you know, the last five years I've been coaching high school basketball and then the national team, um, professional athletes, obviously into the national team. But I think, yeah, I, I think the lessons learned are it's about relationships, be athlete centered um, you know, be a transformational coach as opposed to a transactional coach and transactions. You do this, I do that. We have a relationship and I'm like, eh, that, that's not for me. Um, I want to be transformational where it's more about the athlete and our relationship and their relationship with other, other athletes on the team. And we really did build a culture like that where, you know, it was, everybody was honest. We did it with integrity and honesty, but um, we also did it with, uh, we care about each other. And I remember one time we were, we were talking about trying to get to the Olympics and we hadn't qualified for Beijing and I think we lost by eight to Brazil and they went so it was that close um which is hard uh but but I remember saying to the players you know no one's getting there or everyone's getting there this isn't a it's an, not an individual sport <laughs> like either we're all committing to this and when we lost to um Brazil to go to Beijing the players went back they they went to Finland they went wherever they could go play wherever they could get a contract they all got better and uh, you know we did the work so another reason why I wanted to have you on besides your coaching experience is that now you are uh, devoting time to mentoring coaches. And I think that's a huge, huge thing. And it's something that I've been thinking about because we have uh, had an influx of young, uh, uh, some of our players and uh, yeah. other young women start to come into our program. And so here, you know, I mean, if somebody came up to you, kind of, hey, out of the blue, what are some pieces of advice that you would give that person that's just starting out in, in coaching? Yeah. Um, yes, I, I've been heavily involved in this, uh, the CAC Coaching Association of Canada. Uh, it's called the Enhanced Female Mentorship Program. So it's I, I mentor female ath uh, former athletes or or current coaches who are striving to get to a high level, university level, maybe national team. And uh, so it's been it's so rewarding. Well, first of all, you learn from them because I'm 62, and some of them that I'm mentoring are early 30s, and so <laughs> they're teaching me things, technology, you know, technology things, all kinds of things. So that's it's a give and take you're both going to learn I think that's the biggest thing um, probably some of the things I think I could tell a mentor is you're not trying to create a mini a mini me you know they have to find their own way and I think you've got to let uh, empower them and it's their journey and sometimes I have to bite my tongue because I want to say more than I should say uh, and so you have to learn to listen that's a huge thing um, for the for the mentor for sure um, I, th I just think there's opportunities for women now that there never were and um, one of the things I think your guests might find interesting is we've done a lot of talk and there's some research out about mentorship and sponsorship, and they're two separate things. And so in Canada, we have a lot of mentorship programs. I think we're doing 
probably as well as anywhere in the world for female coaching. And it's also in business and different things, but I know coaching, but sponsorship is when, you know, you or I get in a room and there's people that might be of influence and we speak highly of someone we're mentoring. So I get in the room and I say, you know, Sabrina is really doing a great job. I think you should have a look at her. And what's happening is that's not happening in Canada. I can only speak to that, but probably not in many rooms. So we have to do a little bit more sponsoring. And I've always said, if you don't think you can step in a room and speak highly of your mentee, then you have to talk to her about why and what she has to change. And, that, and those are hard conversations. Um, and I think uh, one, of, one of the best things I think for the mentee is that just learning from someone who's been there, done that, asking questions, feeling like it's a safe space, feeling like, hey, you can discuss things here and, and I'll help you and I'll, I'll lead you wherever I can. And, and then the idea of networking them with your network, I think is really key too. Um, so I was wondering when you work with up and coming female coaches, what kind of questions are they asking? Like, what do they want to know? Yeah, this is interesting because I wrote some of these down so that I could remember. Yeah. Um, so one of the big ones they're asking is how do I handle tough conversations with athletes, parents, and administrators? I mean, that's just, it's not easy. And if you don't have experience, a, a lot of people haven't gone through that. Maybe they've gone through a little bit as the athlete, but maybe not on the other. So they're asking that. Um, and kind of tied in with that, how do I deal with conflict? How do I resolve conflict? Um, how do I get to the bottom of two sides of a story? That kind of thing. Um, a lot of, the, of mine have asked how I build great culture and great relationships with my athlete. How, how do I do that on a day-to-day -day basis? Because we talk about it, but how do I actually do it? Like, what do you suggest? And, and some people are much more outgoing and more socially interactive with their athletes, and some are not. But you can still build great relationships based around, I think, who you are. Um, another one, I think we, we might have talked about this in the emails or texts we sent. How do I plan my season? What do I put in when? <laughs> and how, <laughs> how do I assess if we're progressing? Because that's not easy. It's experience. So you know, there are people that want to say, well, I've got to get, um, you know, I've got to be getting my full court press in and my zone press and my zone attack. And I'm like, or maybe you need to, you know. So I think it's that kind of stuff. And last but not least, um, of course, there are always the technical and tactical questions, but many of those are found online now. I mean, yeah. Of, yeah, you know, they can find clinics and yeah. So those I'm getting more questions around building a program, handling conflict, working with athletes, probably those kinds of things. So uh, just a quick question. What's something that we could do to make uh, the environment in our program a little bit better? What's something that you've learned that really helps out? To, to help out your mentees? Uh, no, just no. to help out in your program, to make uh, the program as a whole, yeah. Right, right. I, I think there are well, a couple of things I can think that come to mind right away. One is giving back. And I think this is really a sign I've seen of a lot of good programs where the kids give back. So they might run clinics for elementary school kids. They might come in on a Saturday to do, you know, some kind of sales for a fundraiser. Um, they might... Uh, go to um, an old folks home and read, just giving back to your community so that people are grateful <laughs> because I think we need to be grateful. I think in this day and age, we need to understand that people are there to help us. And so I think that's a really good sign for a program. Um, I think expectations, I mean, not everybody wants to be elite. So sometimes setting high expectations, kids balk at it. And I think we have to work through that and, and where do we wanna be? And so good team communication, I think that's really important. Um, I think communication in general, is probably the one thing that will help a, a team in a program more. I know that that was something we had to get to with the national team, especially one of the things we talked about is um, I felt like I couldn't coach them hard. 
And I finally said it to them. It took me a while because I said, I just don't feel like a coach your heart. You're all like overly sensitive. And sometimes the super elite athlete is super sensitive. <laughs> like they really are because they've, they're, they've always out front and I think they take a lot of criticism. And, and so I said, I just need permission to coach you harder. And they're like, yeah, do it. And I said, okay, but if you balk, then we need to talk about why are you balking? If, and, and when I say coach harder, that didn't mean yelling and screaming, but being a bit more demanding on the standard of play and, um, their commitment was unquestionable. Uh, there's a few things. I don't know. I think um, valuing everybody, not everybody's going to be the star, but not everybody's going to play all the minutes, but I think everybody brings value to the team um, for sure. And if they're not bringing value, I guess we have to probably move them on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, there's some great, uh, great tips there. As you said, there's, there's more opportunities for women uh, uh, as coaches, as head coaches, but still, you know, you look at like Idaho and yeah. on the girls side, there's, it's still predominantly men as coaches. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to do is give the, the uh, female coaches that are in my program an opportunity, or if they want to pursue that head coaching job, um, help them out as much as possible. So what are some things that I could do to, to help them? That's a great question because I think um, someone had said to me once, you know, one thing about Gina Oriyama, yeah, he's a you know, pretty strong male figure, but he's always had female assistants. Mm -hmm. He's always had a whole, and I'm like, that is great. And, and he sent players on and, and um, I kind of got to meet him at the Olympics and, and, uh, and have a couple chats with him, nothing serious, but um, I, he has done that. And a lot like Shay Ralph, he sent a lot of, of his, um, players on. Now I don't know, cause I've never been to his practice, but I do know someone who has, and they said he gives his, assistant coaches a fair bit of responsibility. They do a lot of the teaching. So I think it's difficult when it's your program and when it's a new coach, but I think working with the coach. So I think they have to have some responsibility in practice. And um, I have to say, I think in the old days, the tendency was that they were the mother hen. They would take care of the girls. And I'm like, I think we're past that. I think yeah. they, can, they can do that, but they can also coach. So I think giving them some responsibility, William in practice, having them um, get some professional development, either like with you on your podcast, listening to, you know, whatever they can get it. Now you can get it online, going to clinics. I did a ton of that. I went to all the Nike clinics in Portland and Seattle and you know, all the clinics back in the day and then online. Um, I also think uh, allowing them to have a voice within, okay, this is the scouting report. This is the team. What do you think? Like, where do, where do you see this? And, and almost making sure that they do answer because some will say, well, I'm not sure. And well, I think what you're doing is right. Well, I, I, I want you to get out of your comfort zone and actually talk to me about that. And kind of a funny story about that. Back when um, they first started the, um, forget what the name of the coaching clinics are, but uh, they were in Vegas and they were done by the NBA guys. Yeah. Yeah, and my husband and I went down and um, my husband knew a couple of the coaches because he worked in coaching development up in BC. And I went and sat down. It was one of those huge ballrooms in Vegas where they had the clinics. And I sat in the front and I thought, well, I'm kind of small. I'll get the front seat. And then people piled in. I didn't look around. And then co the coach came up to start it. And I mean, Doc Rivers was speaking. I can't remember all the speakers, but he said, we'd like to um, welcome our one and only female coach here, Allison McNeil. And I was like, what? So <laughs> I turned around and I said, would, would you stand up? I'm like, oh. So I stood up and waved like probably 250, 280 coaches there. Mm -hmm. And that, that's how it was at the time. And that's a, that's a long time ago. Um, I think it was, oh, why am I thinking? can't remember who, Brendan Sewer maybe, and, and, and a couple other coaches, but it, it was the first one. And I think a lot of women felt intimidated to go listen to MBAs and what would I be able to take from that? And so I think also you can in practice 
help them to understand that they're going to have to work some in a man's world. That's just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to have to mesh. And, and men working with women and work, women working with men shouldn't seem weird. <laughs> it should seem fine, right? And so, yeah, that. But I think definitely giving them some responsibility, empowering them to speak. Um, but I think it's okay to give them some critical feedback too. They need that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to shift gears a little bit because, you know, I, I, as I was talking to you before, I've been fortunate to uh, have some other Canadian coaches on the podcast. And um, I think, you know, if you're a basketball fan in the United States, you've seen more and more Canadians. And, and yeah. if you're not a women's basketball fan, like it's happening on that side of, uh, of, of the game as well. So what's Canada doing right when it comes to kind of teaching the game and starting to produce these, um, you know, high level athletes? Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking because I think we're pretty proud of where we've taken our programs, men's and women's uh, from where we're at. We're, you know, we're not a huge country. Basketball is not number one. Hockey is still number one. I might even say soccer is number two. We are the fastest growing sport. Um, so that's good news. We're growing, but um, I think a couple of things have, have really changed basketball, the perspective. One was the Vancouver Grizzlies when they were here, but mostly the Toronto Raptors. It, it's just been mind-boggling that, that you can't be what you can't see. And now that people can see them, and even though they're not Canadian athletes, so we have a couple now, but, you know, they weren't Canadian athletes. They were people that I think we adopted. So uh, Vince Carter, you know, I mean, I'll, you know, you can think of all the Kawhi Leonard of late and Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry and of late, the, the really good teams. So I think that was the biggest thing, especially in the Toronto area where a lot of our population is. So we have, a, you know, the, the Ontario and Quebec have the huge population. So that was number one, I think. On the women's side, we started something some years ago called CP, Center for Performance. And that's where in each province we in territory, we identified the top, say, 20 to 30 young women. We brought them together with the best coaches on some weekends and we trained them. And at least we could identify them. And now that that's not doing as much. We're, we're still doing it, but it's not as big because there's more AAU and club. Mm-hmm. And then we just have some outstanding um, high school AAU coaches, some not so outstanding, like everywhere, yeah. uh, but some outstanding. And we've, we, I think we really focused on uh, the long-term development of the athletes. So starting when they're young with, you know, uh, the ABCs, agility, balance, coordination, speed, and then adding skill play and then skill and, so I think we've we've really done a great job. And I have to give a shout out to two Italian coaches that came over to Canada uh, and did work. I don't know, um, Mario DeSisti and, oh, I have to look up who's my other guy. I always do that. Um, uh, uh, Pasquale, last name Pasquale. So it'll come to me. And they came over and they did some stuff uh, for Canada basketball, went across the country doing clinics. And in every province, it was free. You could go watch them and, and they were great. So it's been a lot of things, but I think the Raptors have been a big part of it. Yeah. On my end, it's pretty interesting to see. I spend a lot of time listening to the basketball immersion podcast yep. and just the impact that he's had, I think on uh, teaching uh, or how we approach teaching the game in the United States. It, like he's had a yep. huge impact on that. And I think that's the thing, you know, talking to Mike McKay, Anytime I fire him a question, he comes back with like a detailed response. And it's just, um, it's been, uh, uh, you know, in a system that's kind of, I would say, disjointed in the United States, even though we're producing these high level athletes, it, it just seems like everybody is generally on the same page in Canada. Yeah, I think generally true. Yeah, I would agree with that, William. And I think, um, 
there's a lot of sharing and a lot of learning. And I think people are open to learning and it's, I mean, obviously a smaller basketball community, but it's still, it's growing. And I think people generally support the national team organization and the provincial organizations generally, and um, people want to share and get better and want to see our kids go on. And we all take a, you know, a certain sense of pride in every Canadian that's in the NBA and the WNBA. I mean, we, we have ownership over them all. That's how it feels. I mean, we, yeah. we don't, but from your area. So that's kind of neat. Um, yeah. Yeah that's been huge and, and the sharing of information for sure well, has been huge. Yeah. And I know with uh, Gonzaga just down the road and the uh, Canadian talent that has come through uh, there, yeah. you know, it's uh, you know, it, I think uh, uh, people are recognizing more and more uh, just the talent and uh, the development that's going on, which kind of leads me to the next question is that, you know, you've been working with uh, basketball athletes at uh, all, all different levels. Are there some keys that a coach should be thinking about when it comes to player development? Yeah, that's always a, a tough one because, you know, age groups vary as we know. But I think I, I did um, make a couple notes on that. And I think working with the younger kids is I know everybody goes, well, it's not the only thing. I'm like, every study shows that they want to have fun. <laughs> like They need <laughs> yeah. to have fun. So when we're seeing dropout rates of, you know, 60 percent when kids are 12 years old, we're wrong. They're not mm. wrong we're wrong. And so I think that's number one, especially at the youth level is it has to be fun. And I'm a big advocate as I know Mike McKay and others are of a lower hoop and a smaller ball when they're young, so they can get some success at throwing. I mean, okay. I think defense is important, but there's nothing like putting the ball in the hoop. That's the best part of the game. I love passing too. I was a point guard, but, but so lowering the hoops, you know, um, three on three small sided games, all that stuff when you're developing kids. But um, I think it's trying to, at the younger ages, I feel like it's about hooking them. Mm -hmm. I remember reading, it was an American coach, who I can't remember now, who said, don't worry so much about a kid's shooting technique when they're young. Worry about that they're so excited about trying to put that ball in the hoop. And then they'll go practice, and then they'll want to get technique, and then you can work with them. And I think that's kind of true. Um, you know, we all grew up in an era where you were out and played a bit more without a coach. And these kids seem to be in an era where they're playing always with the coach. And I think um, we have to be careful of that. So making it fun. I think um, activities have to be organized for maximum action. Mm -hmm. I, I'm working with a, a young 12 year old. I work with a 12 year old who's um, when I say work, we go play, we have fun, but I know her parents, they both played and her dad played some national team and she's just a great kid and a great family. And, um, and I always just try to make maximize action. Like I don't talk much to her because who wants to come and hear me talk? Like, let's just play. So, you know, I'll dribble hand off with her and then she'll, you know, throw a hook pass or a pocket pass to me or something. We just kind of play. And um, I think I can't guard her anymore, but, <laughs> but that's, that's really important. I think you have to make an environment where kids feel safe physically and psychologically. That's something that's mm -hmm. really changed. Safe sport and making sure they have an environment where they, they feel like it's a safe place to come. Um, I think you got to modify, obviously, for age group, uh, get lots of repetition in game-like things, mm -hmm. because I think that's that's what transfers. And I remember talking to a coach once, he said, you know, I do all these ball handling drills and passing drills, and then the kids can't make a pass. And I'm like, well, no, they can make a pass. They just can't make a decision. Like, pass, <laughs> pass, passing is a technique. Decision-making is, like, different. Like, you, you know, might be able to throw a, a really good overhead pass or chest pass or a push pass, but do you know when? Can you see it in the game? So I think in development of um, the athletes, I think there has to be skill combined with conceptual, combined with fun. And it's we've got to have game-like and there's there's got to be some defense out there at some point. So we 
talked about, Hey, um, the tactical aspects are out there. Um, you know, coaches can go find that, I guess here, what would you suggest as far as like creating a filter for knowing what <laughs> is good and what is bad? I think, you know, um, as a coach, that's probably the biggest thing that has happened is that, you know, I can usually tell pretty quickly, like, Hey, this is not for me, or this is going to be for me. But what would you say to a coach that might ask that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it takes time and experience. You've got to wade through some of it and look through. But I think um, probably going to um, webs or to um, Twitter and maybe finding a few of the coaches that are, and if they speak about another coach, I think it's a pretty good way to network and find. Um, I know during the pandemic, uh, and I couldn't be with my high school kids, so we, we were sending them workouts online, and we were, you know, zooming together, and everybody was. And I just found some guys online. I'm like, oh, that's really good. Like I'll send that to my players, I would have them work out. So how do you, how do you determine that? I mean, I think a lot of it's experience because I'm not sure. I mean, so, sometimes I get on and I'm, I'm a minute, not even, I'm 30 seconds in and I'm like, Oh no, this is, this is yeah. not happening. I cannot, yeah. I cannot waste a minute on this. Uh, and then some of them, I'm just like, Oh, this is great stuff. And I'm, I'm sending it out to you know coaches. I mentor and players that I know. So I, I'm not sure I, I know other than experience, but I think if they're trying to sell you something, Sometimes that's an indication. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not always, but sometimes I think if there's some good content up there that's free and then maybe you can buy it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, as far as like um, with your high school group now, like what, what, what are you doing? How do you um, how do you plan a practice? How do you approach that? And what kind of stuff are you guys doing on a regular basis? Right. Good. So actually, I um, I finished with my high school team last year. I okay. Five years to them. And yeah. then I got them through the COVID year. And so we've got. Uh, four of them off playing university, three division one and one up here in Canada. So that's why I'm watching them. And then I help a little bit here and there. But what I did um, before COVID is we did early season was a lot of fundamental work. So footwork. Um, mm -hmm. I love I love the saying your feet, put your hands in position to make a play. And so we spend so much time with the ball and I get that and you have to be able to handle the ball. But if your feet are bad, I'm not sure. Like you have to have good footwork. So footwork, um, lots of pivoting, lots of stopping, starting. Um, I did that all lot preseason. And then um, a little bit working on, like when we say fundament, fundamental skills, I know I always, that's a debatable topic always, <laughs> but, but shooting, ball handling, but, but pretty quickly with at least a guided defender or someone in their space so that they get, don't get too comfortable. Um, I did a lot of something that I don't know if you've heard this, but hard first training. Mm -hmm. um, that's a, that's something I learned in when I did my level four coaching certification up here. And so they talked about hard first training in that, you know, we tend to as coaches, so, you know, do a proper warm up, then we come in, we maybe do some fundamental stuff, then, then we add some you know, zone, and then maybe we scrimmage. And so I started to kind of change the way I did it. And I did hard first. So we would warm up because we always want to try to improve players athleticism. And mm -hmm. I did a lot of, um, single-legged uh, landing strength, strength uh, changes direction, stops and starts, because they need it for their strength. And, um, and, uh, and then I went to hard first, which might mean four and four full court, no dribble. And because, you know, we warm up and then we go into a game. It's not easy. They don't, they don't let you kind of get going. You know, yeah, your, yeah. <laughs> your opponent doesn't, doesn't really. So I'd throw something hard at them, or it might be, okay, we're going to go, um, you know, we're warm up, we're going five and five, uh, five and five, half, half court, full court, half court, and uh, we're keeping score, something like that, you know. And yeah, so I did some hard first training. I tend to be a bit more um, probably where I do a lot of three and three breakdown, four and four breakdown, and then 
some some five on five. Um, I think systems, I waited till a little bit later in the year, but that's me. Some people want them in. I always had to have my press break in early because I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I'm like every other coach, I'd be having nightmares that people were pressing us and we couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah. But even um, for me, our press break was always fairly conceptual. So mm-hmm. side, middle, back, wherever the ball was, we had to have someone behind it and on either side of it. And so we formed triangles and we just worked at how do we form triangles going down the floor against any kind of pressure. Um, so it's pretty conceptual, but still, I put it in early. I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> and then, um, you know, everybody's different. I always thought defense was built um, from end offense in the full court. So I would put transition in before I would put in half court okay. offense because I don't know. I, I still don't get how coaches think we're, you're going to be organized and spaced in the half court, if you're not organized in space and transition, if it's the one thing I yell at the Raptors at when I watch them, <laughs> we're so bad in transition sometimes. <laughs> I got to call Nick Nurse. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but well, um, when I have him on uh, the podcast, I'll yeah. let him know. Yeah. You, you mentioned that I think we could be better in transition. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know, everybody does something different, but, um, and I would say, you know, I've always been a coach that's focused more on my team, yes, a scout, of course, a scouting report. Um, even in high school, I tried to give them a little scout, mm-hmm. uh, but but more focus on our team. And I found that that kind of creates um, confidence and doesn't not like we can take everything away from the other team anyway. But if, if we're only thinking about the other team, I'm not sure we're, we're, we're thinking about how good we can be and how well we can play. So, Coach, I really appreciate your time. I got uh, one more question for you. So um, what was it like when the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship? <laughs> what was that like in Canada? It was insane. The only thing I can liken it to is when Sidney Crosby hit the game-winning goal and we won the 2010 <laughs> Olympics in Vancouver. And okay, we were, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were in a pub with friends, but it was more for me because it's basketball. So yeah, yeah. it was just, it was so amazing. And of course, everybody, in, it was all over the papers, which you never see. Basketball was the forefront in Canada, which is not the, you know, it's not the norm. So I think it just really um, brought people together and, and on a global stage. I mean, hockey's big, but it's not big like basketball. I mean, it's not in, it's not in the Southern hemisphere anywhere, hockey, you know, it's only in the cold countries. So yeah, it was quite something. It was, it was pretty impressive. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, coach. Oh, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I was going to, you had asked me something um, for young people coming into coaching. I don't know. Yeah. If you yeah. Asked, yeah. yeah. Could I talk about that just because I think no I lo- for sure yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah. I love I love what you said you know you've got three young females that you're trying to mentor and one thing in in mentoring and I've I've been doing it for about ten years now and and been lucky enough to be in rooms where people that do the research you know gave us some professional development mm-hmm. but um, women need mentors of both genders they need mentors of different ages they need mentors mentors in different sports. Like one of my great mentors really was a soccer coach up at Simon Fraser when I was there, he was just nearing the end of his career and I was starting mine. And I mean, I didn't think I could even navigate the athletic director. He was so old school. I was struggling and my, my, our soccer coach, Keith really helped me through that. So I think, you know, they need that. But one of the things I, I talked about was um, building relationships because it's all about the people. So they need to network and build up the relationships, not just with the athletes, but also with you as the co- head coach and with administrators and other coaches in the school and the community. Um, I think they have to learn their craft, try to be the best you can be. And that means constantly learning. I mean, you're, you're, you know, talking to coaches all over the world. And I think that's, that's just so important. And I do the same. I mean, I, I'm always talking to a new coach and then finding mentors, people they can learn from. I think those three things are really, really important. And um, I think number four is if they always, both, hopefully they will mentor 
down the road. So we pass it on, pay it forward. But I think coaching with honesty, integrity, authenticity, and passion, then it's going to still be tough. Coaching is tough. I mean, we mm -hmm. take a lot of criticism, but you're never going to be bitter because you did it with integrity and honesty. And I think those are things that the young female and male coaches can learn along the way. So I just wanted to if that's useful. No, that is, that is uh, really, really useful. And in fact, uh, I think that was some of the best advice that I got from um, one of my mentor coaches um, that I was fortunate to work with for about eight years. And he just said, you know, um, you know, whatever decision you uh, make, make sure that you walk away knowing that it was your decision yeah. and that, uh, you know, you, and feel confident in that decision. It may not work out, but yeah. uh, you need to be, uh, you know, honest to yourself and, and really, um, you know, believe in yourself. Yeah. And you made that decision based on the best information available at time and your honesty and your integrity. And yeah, I don't know. Have you ever talked to uh, Brian McCormick? Do you know Brian? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a big follower and, uh, yeah. he's definitely on the list, um, yeah. to, yeah. uh, to, uh, to have on the show. Yeah. He's cause we had him up here to speak a couple of times. My husband had him uh, through basketball BC and at times he's, he's very low key, <laughs> but, <laughs> but his information is outstanding. Yeah. But this was, this was a quote he had given, he had, and I use it all the time with young players, details are not important. Instead, keep practices and games active and continue challenging players to learn new things and try new skills. Ignite their passion for the game rather than dampening their enthusiasm. Create a playful environment rather than eliminating play in favor of drills and instruction. And it's always been something I've really liked that he wrote. And I was talking about when I work with the 12-year-old girl, that mm -hmm. we just, I really make it fun. I constantly challenge her with new things and, and um, just enjoyable. And she just comes skipping into the gym and so do I. So something's working, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think... Uh with um what i've read from brian and and seen on his twitter account and then other coaches that i've come across i think that's probably if you looked at uh the since i've become a head coach the difference between where i was at when i started to now is that there's a lot more just playing out there you know because that's that's what the kids like to do yeah yeah exactly and it's not like we can't teach as they play but i'm the same yeah. I, I i went more from skill one-on-one based stuff to more two and two, three and three, four and four based stuff and teaching skills within that. So, yeah. Well, yeah. thanks. thanks. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, one of the things is that uh, I always kind of feel a little weird, like saying this, but last year we went to state, we made it to a, um, the state semifinals in our classification wow. and we didn't have any set plays in. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had a couple of inbounds, <laughs> yep, yep, um, yep. but it was basically just, okay, you go out and uh, play, you know? And yep. so like, I'm always kind of wary of bringing that up. Cause it's like, well, what are you doing as a coach then? You know? Okay. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, well, no, you can do this stuff and still have a lot of success. Oh yeah. And, and it's not like you're not teaching the game. I think that's what mm -hmm. people yep. think. If it doesn't look super structured and it doesn't look like I set up everything, then I'm not coaching. And that's actually the, the opposite you're doing more coaching when your kids your young women are empowered your athletes are empowered and even with the national team we didn't actually have a press break all conceptual mm -hmm. we did we did a lot of prints in the last little bit but it's all off triggers and the ball goes here you can do that so yes there's structure but then it's decision making and and it's more fun to play that way there's no doubt 
I totally agree with you, yeah. uh, especially having come from a flex system in high school. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. not that there's not some good stuff that oh. you can do out of the flex, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, but yeah. the way we read it, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it's just yeah, the yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. dizzying pattern. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, coach, this nice has been a re- yeah, this has been a real pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on, and no um, you know, uh, one, I want to just thank you for uh, what you've taught me because, like I said. Um, I've watched a couple of your videos, um, some from Basketball Manitoba, right, yes. uh, which they do a great job they with uh, their coaches' uh, uh, clinics, and then yeah. uh, also the FIBA one. And I d- I've just yeah. learned a lot from you, so it was always, wow. uh, you know, just been awesome to be able to talk uh, talk with you. All right, thanks so much, William. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com. 